We're told that the expected cyber skill shortage is estimated to be 1.8 million by 2020, and yet just 12% of the cybersecurity workforce is under the age of 35. So what can be done to tap into younger generations of talent? I'm Anna Delaney, and this week I speak with Mark Wormsley, CISO at Freshfields Law Firm, about finding, nurturing and growing the next generation of cyber talent. Mark has a wealth of knowledge and experience in finding and recruiting talent, particularly in untraditional places. So I asked him about where and from what age the search should begin, what it takes to motivate young people, and what the industry should be doing to increase its talent pool. But first, I asked Mark his thoughts on how we are currently doing when it comes to recruiting the next generation of cyber talent. Globally speaking, I think it's difficult. There are probably a couple of challenges. The first one is it isn't a career that many people are aware of, and therefore it's currently not backed by well-developed schemes for individuals. So that's the first point. The second point is we're actually not good enough at getting in early doors. So a lot of people are targeting people who are doing GCSEs, A-levels, first job out of industry. But really, if we're going to get it right, we need to start much earlier in the process. So kids are starting to get on computers when they're six, seven, eight years old. They're starting to get into this arena. I'm not saying that's the right starting point, but soon after that would be helpful. So I think, really, we've got great aspirations, but ultimately we're not well enough developed either from an ambition point of view or the education to be able to do it effectively at this point in time. I think it's coming. I don't think it's, it's not on the radar for people. They, they all want to do it. It's just the fact that it's not progressing as quickly as it could do. And do you see information security being a mainstream subject? Would you like to see that? I think so. So when you talk about careers, you talk about longevity, you talk about flexibility, interest, finance comes into it. Um, where you want to work, all of those things are covered by security, whether it be traditional cyber security or the new information security. They're all covered by that, and there's so many jobs. You, you look at the different types of roles, and I think I saw an article recently that says there's about 80 standard jobs in those areas, and they can all lead on to one another. So if you put that out there as a prospect for someone to say, it's an industry that is desperately in need of resources, that you can get paid pretty well for, that's very flexible, you can skip between different areas and actually is very exciting because a lot of what we do is instant response management, then why wouldn't it be something that people want to be involved in? So in order to inform children about this career, is, whose responsibility is that? Actually, I don't know the answer to it. So, Well, I think the answer actually is everyone's. So it depends who you are. If you're a parent and you want your children to have a brilliant life and a career, then it's your parents' responsibility to do it. Also, parents have got responsibility to ensure their kids understand what security is, particularly on the internet. So there is a tie there. Then there's the industry leaders, whose responsibility is to make sure that there's a talent pipeline, not just for themselves, but the industry generally. And then you've got those in education, professional education, so teachers, government, it's their opportunity and responsibility to identify what a career could look like and how to get into it and encourage people to take on individuals who don't have experience and don't have long lists of qualifications but just to get them back into the pipeline. And do you talk to a lot of young people about yeah. cybersecurity? 
Yeah, so we do some schoolwork um, as Freshfields. We do some schoolwork. We are part of Cyber First, which is an NCSC scheme. So we've had someone seconded to us over summer. So this is someone who's doing their levels, sorry, who's doing their degree at this point in time, and they're being trained in what it might look like afterwards. And then we have a pipeline of talent. So we have seven graduates who first job out of university, and we put them into something called the tactical team, which is like a rapid response, break fix, nothing critical, but takes time, and we don't want our senior people to do it. We put them in there, and we train them in how to get into security early on, and then they eventually start to do one route or another within the team. So we do that all the time. We do a Stephen Lawrence Foundation piece as well. So we're out there speaking to that group of people. So I think we have around 20 Stephen Lawrence Foundation individuals that sit with us each year, and they come and do a mini secondment, some of those with us. And every other opportunity we can, we go out and try and talk to people about what the risks look like and what the opportunities might be. What are they asking you? What are these young people asking you about cybersecurity, what are, what's on their mind? Well, it depends. I think a lot of them think it's a bit like being a secret spy, and that excites them. And we show them there is an aspect of it that is instant response. You've got hackers trying to get into your organisation. You are reacting to it, and you have crisis. And that's, for a young person, to see that live, and we've had a few of those, to see it live is really super exciting. So it's less about asking about it and more about experiencing the moment while it's there. A lot of them ask about um, how much you get paid to be in the industry. So there is still this old school thinking millions. about, I want cash, yeah, I wish millions. Um, how much money will I earn doing this particular role? A lot of people want to understand actually, what are the qualifications that I need in order to get into it? And this is something that will spark a, a ton of debate with people, I'm sure. Because my answer is, qualifications are brilliant, but it's a bit like training to be a lawyer. You go and do your degree, you go and do, go to law school, and then you turn up and say, oh, I kind of know everything. And the reality is, the law is there, but the practicalities of how it's applied and how it works is different. And the same is exactly the same in information and cybersecurity. So a lot of it's about just getting the experience and knowing what to do when an event happens or how to guide someone when an event happens. And so I'm kind of saying to people, listen, don't worry if you haven't got the qualifications. As long as you're going into a firm that's got some structure and some skilled people, get the experience, then choose the qualifications that supports the area that you're interested in and build that way. So it's a bit like going back to the really old way of working where you have an apprenticeship. So you turn up, you learn your trade as you're going through, then you do your qualifications afterwards. And I think that's an interesting way of doing it. And someone said to me the other day, so how do I get into it? And so I said, go and ask someone. Go and find someone that you think is open to it and say to them, I really want a job because of X, Y, and Z reasons. I'm driven, I work hard, I just want an opportunity. And don't make it about the money, that's the last thing. And almost every CISO that I know will give a bright person who speaks in that way the opportunity within the organisation. Are there some misconceptions that they had in mind before starting their, say, internship with you or apprenticeship. How do they see it at school, not being an industry, and then suddenly seeing the industry and, yeah. and, and experiencing it? Did they give you feedback? Yeah, I think the reality is when you're outside of the industry, it looks binary, black and white. When you're in the industry, you understand the complexities of what's involved every day. So maybe I can explain it in a different way. 
We do partner training sessions, live threat intelligence sessions three times a week. We have partners come along, internal partners here, where we explain to them that it's not just about our hackers trying to get into our organisation, but it's actually about the complexity of the defences, the ways in which people can get in, the ways in which people can get out of the organisation, training and awareness, audit necessities. And actually when you get into it, it's a much bigger bubble. And that's the thing that's surprising to everyone is the level of complexity that goes into information cybersecurity. And when they get into it and they understand all the technologies and the interconnectivity and the visibility and the 24 hours and how you have to respond, they go back home and say, listen, it's not just like protecting my laptop with antivirus because that's their exposure today. It's a much, much more complex particularly if you're talking about defence in a corporate world. Later on, when you're recruiting and you're in the interview room, are they asking about sustainability, diversity? What's on their mind? No, so, so they're not. And actually, I let the techies do the interviews and I do the final stage. Because don't forget, there are two things, as a CISO, there are two things that I think a CISO should be doing when they're recruiting people. The first one is they need to sell the organisation because the demand is huge then. You want to find the person who wants to come and work in your firm for a long period of time. There's no point hiring someone for 12 months because of the investment, both financially and also from the hours behaviourally, that goes into a person. It doesn't work well for 12 months. Second thing is you want to make sure that the fit is good. So a lot of the things that I ask when I interview people are, I'm probably giving away all my trade secret <laughs> questions in the areas. What is the thing that gets you up in the morning, gets you to work and keeps you energised throughout the day? because you want to make sure that it's in the right arena for them. What's important to you from a non-academic perspective? So do you have good balance? Are we able to adjust how you work so you get that? Because otherwise, if you work in all of the hours and you've got no balance outside of it, you'll burn out or you'll leave or you'll do both of those things. The last one is in that arena is where do you want to be in a few years' time? And what I really want to hear people saying is, I really want your job or I want my boss's job but not in a way that's aggressive, it's just a, I have an ambition to learn and be better. All of those things, for me, are giveaways. No one ever asked about diversity. Very few people ask about money now, quite frankly. A lot of people ask about the, where do you think I should be investing my time in the first six months of being there? What can I learn? Who should I go and speak to? What training should I do? Are there things that I should be focused on particularly? And that's a very different kind of interview status. Mm because the demand is so great now. I did a podcast recently on um, what can we learn from cyber criminals and the way they recruit. Uh, the security scientist I was asking, he was, he was talking about motivation. You know, they, they grab them young, mm -hmm. so they, they attract them young, but also it's often not money that's the motivator. It's something else. Credibility. It could be that, yeah. Yep. And um, I wonder what your thoughts are on, on what we can carry over from the criminal front mm -hmm. um, and how they just... I mean, also, I don't think they're thinking, well, we need a diverse workforce. They're probably not even discriminating yep. against nope. anyone because they just need someone to, to do the job. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. So I think there are probably a couple of questions in there and I'll answer them as I mm -hmm. see them. The first one is diversity is really important, but everyone talks about the traditional diversity. So old and young, men and women, for me, that's all dead. Diversity is about personality type and about ambition, and they all collectively go together. If you've got a diverse team, so you've got introverts, extroverts, feeling, sensing, kind of Myers-Briggs way of working about things, you have a high-performing team very quickly. As long as everyone's aware of 
what the character type is like. The second thing is, most of the most of the people to motivate them, you have to make sure that their work is interesting and they feel like they get continuous development. And that doesn't have to be training. That could just be someone very junior in the team spends some time with someone very senior in the team or the business and just understands that they have access to someone with experience who actually gives a whatever about their future. And in doing that, they motivate them. And then actually you've just got to make sure that they get lots of repeat tasks. So typically here, we outsource repeat low-level tasks that take a lot of time and give them to a third party. We just pay for that service and don't care. And then we give the kind of medium-level tasks to the new people, the younger generation, so that actually it is always cutting edge for them. It means that it gets their knowledge up quickly. They don't expose the firm too much because it's not that serious, but it keeps them totally motivated. And then you find that they're in a very different world. They want to learn very quickly. They want to do a really good job. They have access to the CSO or the senior manager. And then it's a very different environment. Less structured, so not a big pyramid, but much more flatlining. You mentioned schemes. You'd like to see more schemes, not, mm. not necessarily at school, but elsewhere. What, tell me more about what you'd like to see. I don't think there's any real schemes out there at the moment that have the ability to say there are a ton of businesses that will take you on from a young age, will train you up or give you the right level of experience for a decent period of time. So most of them are still based upon either you come from an IT background, so you're an architect or an engineer and you're wanting to move across, or you go and do one of the new cyber courses that are out there, in which case you have a qualification but no experience. There aren't a ton of courses globally that give you that. So there is Cyber First, as I said, NCSC. We did a bit of work on that and took one person. But actually, it's, we've got to start driving this, whether we do it organically through our own businesses and come up with a formal mentoring training way of working for cyber, or whether we force some of the bigger organisations to drive that. So not just government, but I'm talking about big blue-chip organisations who would do this for other parts of their business. But there just isn't enough. Are people talking about it, though? Can you hear the conversations already happening? I've been talked about for probably, as long as I've been a CISO here, so six years, people have talked about, let's get the next grad programme going, let's get the next scheme going. And in many cases, they are quite isolated and they are independent to a business who wants to take commercial advantage of it. As far as I'm aware, there's no big schemes out there that allow people to say, we collectively, so say all of the legal industry got together, along with banks and along with car manufacturers and whoever else, pharmaceuticals, and said, we're all going to put this amount of money into a scheme, and this is going to provide training and awareness for a 1,000 people in Europe or wherever it might be. That doesn't exist at the moment. And there's a bit of a CSR piece here. I think we have to do that. I think we have to come back and say, I'm putting 10 grand in, you put 10 grand in, you put 10 grand in. Here we go. We now have a pot of three or four million pounds where we can train a thousand staff. And then we need to impress those individuals that they want to come and work with us. So it kind of, you get them trained up and then you almost have to prove that you want them to come and work in your organisation and there's value there. So sort of like a law conversion yeah. You know, two yeah. years, go off and then come and work for our firm. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like um, the legal industry when you, you get smart kids that go to university to study law. That's the point at which big law firms start to target individuals and say, you're really bright, I like your fit, I want you to come and work with us 
when you finish your three-year degree and we will give you, we'll pay for your training course, it's called the Legal Practitioner Course in the UK, the LPC, it's a year. We'll pay for that, but then we want you to come and join us afterwards. And those individuals, if they're really good, will have several offers on the table and they'll say, well, I'd rather go to this firm than that firm because of these reasons. So if we can provide that degree, if you like, training, and then it's down to the firms to say, where do you want to go and work thereafter? We'll start to work in a very different way. Mm. And we'll have a pool of people that we can choose from. And they'll be aware and they'll talk to their friends about the opportunities thereafter. Yeah. Um, what are the least likely sources of talent you've, you've recently come across? Have you been surprised where you've found a pool of talent? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. So you can find talent almost anywhere if you've got the right pair of eyes on it. And by that I mean you've got to take away stereotyping people. So it doesn't matter whether they've got a degree or no degree, whether they've got great qualifications, because it's all about what you're looking for. So some people, I mean, you could hire someone who doesn't have, isn't, writing style isn't good for the legal industry, but they're brilliant at communicating. They can just win people over very quickly. They build friendships really quickly. That's a talent. And we hired someone like that who was absolutely fabulous at doing it. They didn't want to write anything down, but they were brilliant and engaging. And then you get other sides of people who are super technical and quite introverted. And actually, when you get them into it, they're really into the detail and become really passionate about it. And the level of enthusiasm, you go, well, this doesn't feel like your personality type. You're an introvert, but now you're being really outspoken about these areas. And they're the people that surprise me, really. But it's giving people an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you go out there and say, I'm going to recruit these people and they're going to surprise me because they're going to be super bright. It's a, I give them an opportunity to work out where they're interested and then that level of interest drives that delivery. How do you not fall into the trap of recruiting someone you get along with? Ah, so, great question. So don't recruit in your own vein. So um, it is a good question and it's very, one that I'm really conscious of have been for some time because you don't want 20 Mark Wormsley's. No one ever wants 20 Mark Wormsley's <laughs> in their business. But what you do want to do is make sure that the first rounds or first two rounds of interviews are conducted by the people that they'll work closely with. And ultimately, I'm just doing the sanity check at the end. So I'm not saying, are you the same person as me? I'm just saying, will you work with the team? Are you going to stay? Do I think that you're someone who's going to, we can invest in and you'll invest back into us? So all of the recruitment process is actually done by the senior leadership team that sit beneath me and the people that they work with. So they'll tend to have a techie meeting first and actually see whether they can work with the techies. Then they'll meet with their boss and the decision at that point is then done. The only reason I would reject someone is if I got to it and I said, I don't think the fit's going to be good or I don't think the presentation's good enough for it to be able to be presented in front of a partner mm. or a client. So typically, the recruitment's done away from me for that exact reason. So it's just a quick sanity check at the end. Okay. And actually, that, that allows the individual who they're going to work for to be totally accountable for it. Otherwise, if the CISO's doing the first round interview, it's a very different feel to the process. Mm. And typically, I'll do less interviews as a result, because you're only interviewing people that you're ready to offer. Have you ever hired anyone who you don't like? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, I've probably, okay. over the years, I've probably hired 
I think don't like is quite a strong word. I think maybe the personality types haven't fitted well. And actually, in many ways, I say to the team here, even, even the ones who I get on really, really well with, it's like, your job is to challenge me and I'm here to challenge you. Not in a way that it's offensive or personal, but that's, we have to balance each other out. So always hire someone with good skills, good experience, good ambition if they don't have the first two of those things. Work well with the team and work well with their line manager. In that respect, I'm not the important person. Mm. I'm part of the cycle. So yes, we have recruited people where they wouldn't naturally be my first choice, but they have been successful and have done a great job, and that's the whole process. That's why I go at the end of the cycle, not the beginning. So as long as we can get in there early at school, yep. and hopefully devise some schemes to, to help people cross over, yeah, I suppose maybe answer the, ask yourself the question this way if anyone's listening to this, which is how many? Hopefully. Well, let's hope <laughs> lots of people. Um, the first one is how many people leave security to go to another industry, and the answer, as far as I'm aware, is very, very few. People diversify in the industry, and how many people want to leave other industries and move to security? Tons of people. So if those are the two questions that you ask yourself, you see that the numbers of people trying to come in and stay within security is great. So it's a really good indicator of what your career might look like. So if, what's your advice to anyone out there who's just, whose ears have perked up uh, after listening to you and <laughs> thinking, oh, I'd like that career? Well, I think the one thing to do is don't, don't sit on it for too long and wonder, how do I get this going? Reach out to any one of the CISOs that you'll find on uh, LinkedIn and just say, I'm really super keen, I just want 10 minutes of your time to understand how I might go about it. Most CISOs that I know will make that time available. Okay, so it might not be half an hour, it might be 10, 15 minutes, it might only be five minutes, but we'll all make the time available for someone who's passionate about it. Didn't you hire someone that way? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they just came up to you, or they, they messaged you on LinkedIn and... Yeah, messaged me on LinkedIn, we also, in fact, we've just hired someone else who did exactly the same thing. So we offered on Tuesday. Okay. Exactly the same process. There's a lot of people who come through recommendations as well. Mm -hmm. So they've worked in a different area. They worked in IT and they said, I really like what's going on at Freshfields. I like the view of Freshfields. The team there sounds good. How do I get into it? And I had a CISO from another law firm recently contact me and said, I've got a guy who's coming out of a contract who's brilliant. He'd be a great fit, wants to come across to you. So we're like, great, let's interview him. And we offered him the job on Tuesday. So it's actually using the legal industry and the contacts and within that security, rather than the security industry. Yeah. yeah. And it can work both ways. Mm. But the legal industry is smaller, there are less CISOs within it. We all know each other really well. We all know people will tend to, in, in legal, people stay in the industry typically. They don't tend to move and go into banking or finance or whatever else. And the CISOs want the best for their staff. And that's a real genuine thing. When someone leaves your organisation and goes to another law firm, and it sounds really weird because it doesn't happen in other industries, but you actually support them in that process because you never know when they're going to come back. And a lot of people boomerang back in a more senior job in years to come. And vice versa. So we will often say, this person's leaving, they're available, are you interested? Yeah, I am. I'll have a conversation. I have a role or I could have a role. Someone else has a role. So we do, we do support people moving between different law firms. Great. Certainly within Europe. I'm not sure about the US, but certainly within Europe. Yeah.
Has the U.S. never been a pull for you? Our operation in the U.S. is, is quite small. Um, there are quite a few companies out there that are interested in recruiting people like me and teams like me. Because we're actually seeing that more and more now, that companies want to recruit teams. They want to take someone who's built a function from scratch, uh, and it's not just an information and cyber function, it's also a privacy function, a training function, and they want to take that whole function and want to ingest it into their business because they know they've got the track record from the start to the end, right. and they know they've got the relationships with the suppliers, and they know they're bringing in skill sets, and so they might say, I really want to be able to deliver a capability that looks like company A, therefore I want the CISO, the senior managers, and all of the techies to come in. So I've definitely seen more traffic in that area mm. and been resistant, just for the record. <laughs> Very good. Okay, great. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure. Thank no, you. Thank you. Many thanks to Mark. That's all for this week. Please do rate, comment on, and subscribe to our shows. It helps people find our podcasts, among the many others out there. Do join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.